Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. On this week's episode, founder, president, and CEO of Jazz Aspen Snowmass, Jim Horowitz, interviews six-time Grammy-winning jazz bassist and Jazz Academy artistic director, Christian McBride. Today, we talk about breaking the tortured artist stereotype, conducting business as a musician, and fixing the number one bad habit all young musicians make. Thank you for joining us today, and remember to stay tuned to Frost Sessions. Groundhog Day over here, man. I don't know about you, just the, the surroundings and the just it's been the, as a musician, as yeah. a musician and a, and, and a timekeeper, which, which is what you are extraordinaire at the end of the day. Don't you find that in your entire life, the experience of time generally in the last year has gone through just it it is just an amazing this the the stretching of it for yeah. me stretching of it and the compression sometimes just the it's just off well the, the, I, I, I told someone like every day has felt like wednesday since mm-hmm. mid-march like mm-hmm. i i don't know what day of the week it is anymore that's it. they all feel the same that's it it's, a, it's 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 something else but well here we are here we here are Okay, so I want to I want to chat, man, because we've we've have um, you know one of the things that has gone on at least for me during this during this time of COVID, of course, well, I won't say of course, I'll just say for me is a great deal of time at home and time to reflect, just reflection on so many things, and one of them happens to be history and our in in my case my my life in the last thirty years which is the length of time that, that Jazz Aspen has been alive. You know, it started 30 years ago and we were supposed to celebrate our 30th year in 2020. So now we're gonna try it again this year. But when I look back at history and jazz has, jazz is a beautiful music in that way. The fact of the matter is you are one of the artists, you know, there's only a handful of people I could probably really, yeah, I can count on probably one hand that I have interacted with personally and professionally over almost almost that entire time. In your case, I think you were here first, I believe, in the mid '90s, around the time that Ray was here. It was, it was late '90s. Late '90s was yeah. your first time. Okay, yeah. I knew it was somewhere between '96, '97, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't. What was your first? So you tell me because you maybe remember all the places. What was your? What were you doing that first time you came? Was it for the summer? Were you performing or were you just here with the <clears throat> with the early jazz academy, which was the, the monk colony? Or is that right. what that's yeah. what you came for first? Well, right? when I actually I came out for the first time. I, I got some great photos of, of this, but I first came out. What what's beautiful is that you and I, we bonded rather quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. we met when I came out there, and then like six or eight months later, and you you're in New York, he was like, Hey, let's get together. I want to I want to lay something on you. Right. And um, you you offered me the artistic director position, right. and uh, so that was in in 1999 when I first came out. That makes and, sense. And um, and then it was I, starting the next year in 2000. Right, that's right. <laughs> and uh, sense. Mr. Uh, Nathan Davis was uh, artistic director at that time, and uh, I was only out there for for a, a few days, like maybe three days. Uh, but Ray was there. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicholas Payton was there. Uh, I guess that would have been Jeff Keezer. 
Yes, Jeff was yeah. in was in Ray's band. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I and I, I remember meeting all of the all of the gang. I remember Lisa Henry was one of the uh, participants that year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I remember I remember meeting uh, Steve Mundinger, um, all the, all the crew, man. You know, Mark Breslin, and you know, all of you guys just. Uh, I liked you a lot. And then, uh, like I said, like the, the 2000 came around and you came to New York and, and we had lunch and, uh, and yeah. that's how it happened. Yeah. You know? Well, the, uh, the, the Ray connection is important. And the Ray connection in my case goes back to Monty Alexander. Sure. Monty was really the guy that was who, who I met when I was, pretty young, I mean, really young, a teenager when he was just very, had just landed almost literally from Kingston, Jamaica in Miami, where I grew up. And that was my first introduction to jazz, literally just as a kid, my family listening and really enjoying. And then it was years later that through Monty and just becoming a fan, I started to eventually, there was Monty and Ray playing together in some setting. And I think it was probably triple treat. Um, right. That, that they had going with Herb Ellis. Herb Ellis yeah. And just somewhere in there, the light bulb kind of went off and Ray, I, I learned from Monty that Ray was the, this just incredible fountain of, of a, a man who was an example, who carried so much music and so much joy. And he was a beacon and a, a, in, in so many ways, personally, professionally. And I saw that I was lucky to get exposed to it early. And then when I, you know, years later, I started to work with Monty professionally. And then one thing led to another in my own story. And, and eventually I did start Jazz Aspen, but it wasn't too long before the, the opportunity and the desire came up to do something intimate and ongoing. And that is how that program started originally with the Thelonious Monk Institute Right. And then, and Nathan Davis was involved. And then after a few years, we had, as we were just growing, we had our own, we started to have our own direction and idea about what to do. And that's what happened. And Ray was just, Ray was a, was a rock. And I remember seeing your connection with Ray and understanding instinctively and very quickly that you were really solid, solidly in that, in, you, you know, that Ray, you were tight. And there was a connection that you guys had on many, many levels. And I recognized it. And I recognized it was strong and something about you. And you said it happened quickly, but that I'm definitely somebody in my life. I make decisions. Most of the people that I ended up getting involved with in a big way, whatever, personally or professionally, usually I had a good feeling, a very good feeling very quickly. And I trust, I trust that instinct. So you mentioned about them. Check out this picture that I found. Oh, yeah. There you, there you are. Favorite photos. Yeah, right. Yeah. And for our friends out there, this is in the basement of a hotel in Snowmass called the Silver Tree, where we started doing these amazing shows. And this was that one of those first times in Christian was there. I love Diane's face. Like, what are you, Herbie? What are you playing over there? And anyway, so many well, beautiful. There, there's a there's another version of that picture. Yeah. Of me playing the piano. Oh yeah. And and Herbie looking at me going, really? like, Christian, what are you playing? 
That's a, that's uh I remember that was uh we were rehearsing for um uh one of the galas and um EJ Strickland who was a student that year played drums with us. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, that's I I I mean I've I've had nothing but some some wonderful memories uh being involved with with the family at Jazz Aspen. In fact, um many of my band members have come through that program. That's you know, I always think of you know, I've always thought of Jazz Aspen as sort of like the the AAA, you know. I, and I'm like I, you're a baseball fan. I don't know baseball as well as you do, so tell me exactly. That's like the last. That's like the last level before you go to the big leagues. You know, okay. so there's single A, there's double A, there's triple A, and then the, and okay. then the pros. You know, okay. so I feel like most of the um, most of the musicians that I've met there they're already many of them are at triple a status already you know that's how i met warren wolf uh the strickland brothers um i remember when gretchen parlato was a student there so Um, so christian sands i i knew christian already but um ulysses owens jr so many great musicians have come through that program and by the way you say that program and some of the people who may be wherever they are that program is the Jazz Academy, J-A-S, right. that's J-A-S for Jazz Aspen Stomass, in association now with the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami, which is why right. we're here talking Frost Sessions, an interesting evolution of the collaboration that you're mm-hmm. talking about of keeping the tradition of this amazing music going. And you just rip, rip, dropped so many, so many names there, not dropped, but you know, mentioned people that are uh, and I can think of, uh, I, there are so many, Sarah Gazarek is a yep. singer that I remember who came here. And then the people that have taught, it's been a, it's been quite a, it's been quite a carousel. Well, why don't, tell me what you see. I wrote some things here to, to ask you about. So we first started, let's just say it's roughly 20 years, yeah. 99, 2000. So that's, that's a, that's a nice, that's a nice piece. That's like a generation. Right. So what do you see from where, you know, from where you are and were in this beautiful picture, probably 20 <laughs> years ago? And now, how would you say that the traditions, the traditions of the passing down, jazz has a very unique, very unique history in the music that we know that's very particular with its very strong history and different right. styles. And its traditions, but tell me from your vantage point, what's different from the process of of, of how me, the older and younger musicians collaborate, work together, pass it down, and what's the, and what's not different? And tell me how, how does it look? I I think it's a really nice um, it's a nice balance because one thing that's obviously way different now is the technology. in In 1999 there was no Spotify, there was no high speed Wi-Fi, you know what I mean? There was, there were no iPhones, there was no instantaneous uh, grasp of, of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, the tools that we had at that time, we did the very best with them that we, that we could. And the, the, the musicians that came through the program, uh, they had a wonderful time. Now you got this incredible technology where you can learn things at lightning speeds. 
the, the information that you can take in is uh, is is incredible. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like being 16 or 17 years old now and having never lived my life without an iPhone but right. without high speed Internet. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, to think of like, what do you mean, you know, uh, people are like, you know, kids are like, what is this? A record? What's a record? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How, how do you make music from that? You know, how do you listen to music from that? So. Um, so technology is way different and the way that we, uh, take in this information, but the one thing that has not changed, which I don't think will ever change, no matter how advanced the technology becomes is this is an oral history. As, as you mentioned before, that really is sort of the core of, of jazz, um, or any sort of, uh, folk tradition, you know, me getting a chance to spend time with Ray Brown, you know, I mean, I had a bunch of Ray Brown recordings as you did, you know, I, I saw Ray Brown on, on, on videos and, 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 you know, listen to him as much as I could, but yeah, but then to spend time with them, you know what I mean? Um, and you know, there's been a lot of, um, I think most older musicians, especially now, they can't wait for that moment. They, they want, a young musician to come to them and ask them for some information. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I, I think of those people like Ray and, and, and Roy Haynes, who, who's still with us. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Diane Reeves, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Cobb, who just left us last year, uh, Hank Jones, they couldn't wait for young musicians to come to them and say, how do I do this? Can you mm-hmm. please tell me a story about something that happened to you on the road or things mm-hmm. like that? So that part of the tradition will never change, because mm-hmm. um, that's how that's how you really get the information. I mean, like, yeah, you can listen to Spotify, you can watch YouTube, you can get mm-hmm. all of that information, but to actually get it directly from the source, that mm-hmm. that that will never change. How about the how about the audience? Um, now we have to stretch back. You got to stretch back to pre-COVID um, because they, we we haven't been doing live stuff, but you have plenty of record of performing in the last 20 years before this, before this happened. Yeah. Anything, anything you can say broadly about, again, what you've experienced, it, anything about how audiences generally, and that could be America versus the world or urban versus any, anything about, well, I noticed that in broadly, this is what I've seen about how audiences are, experiencing what I do or with my band and without some, I'm, I'd love to hear you. Um, I think if, if, if I, I, I like to think that I've taken a real deep dive and a, a deep comprehensive look into sort of the jazz audience over the last half century or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that, um, Jazz is a it's it's a mature music. It's mm-hmm. a mature music in a primarily adolescent culture. You know, um, uh, America tends to be a more pop oriented culture. You know, sure. and so you have music that takes a little time to unfold. You, you don't mm-hmm. make two two and a half minute singles. Right. You don't make you know kind of like dance steps and and videos and things like that so 
um, it's a very mature person trying to exist at a like, you know, at a 16 year old birthday party. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and so I think it's been like that for quite some time, you know, and I know that um, there's a narrative that uh, in, in the jazz world that really hasn't changed that we have to make the audience younger. We have to find new audiences, which which is very true. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, being a festival artistic director now and knowing that sort of like the median age for many jazz festivals is like 60. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't bode well for long term yeah. <laughs> life, you know, classical music is certainly. Oh, big time, big time. And so. Um, that, but that's interesting that you say that because I feel that jazz is, is it always kind of walks this tightrope between um, sort of like a, a, a like the the classical music world has sort of has created its own universe. Mm -hmm. So jazz is a little bit of that, but it also has a foot sort of like in contemporary mainstream culture. So there's always like this tug of war, you know, like. Right. This is serious music. No, but it's still music for the people. Yeah, right. but it's serious music for the people. Right. We need to, you know, know it's this. So there's always this it tension going on. Which, which, uh, what, what's that? Well, so it depends on which day and which artist. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and you talk about something that's, you know, it's, it's something that, that anybody who cares about the, the, the preservation and survival of, of jazz what a you know this has been i mean i think is jazz dead this has been fretted about by certain jazz people forever forever uh, right and and but i think there's an interesting thing that that we talk about when you're talking about placing jazz in the culture which is that years and years ago jazz did have a a, a period of time when it was an American popular music form because a lot of it invo did involve dancing. Right. It wasn't the only thing, but it definitely, you know, I think helped push the music out into the general population and a kind of, of without even necessarily knowing, just the music got popular. I'll just right. say it became right. popular in a certain way. And then, of course, when it got more serious you know, at the end of the 50s and then just jazz got into it's really, you must take us seriously. This actually is listening music. Right, and, right. And then of course we know here we are 50 years later. And, and then at the same time that that was happening, that first wave of rock and roll was getting popular. So it was just like- right. Yeah, yes. You know. Yeah, pretty well. Well, now what do you think about, um, um, and I have my own opinions, but I'd like to hear yours. Okay, well, if jazz and as we look at going forward and you're talking about programming which is something that i live a little bit with and you look out and there's the audience you say everybody seems to be 60 they're having a nice time but i can see what right. they like and they're 60 to 80 and that's fine but you know right. they are 60 to 80 right so how do you feel about music which is which is taking jazz and is is kind of putting it into a a context where it's uh, where it's blending with 
whether it's funk or soul or any of the other forms of American music that are more, more rhythmically driven, perhaps than melodically driven. But of course, when that happens, you may see, or I'll just say not you may, you will see younger, you will see some younger people. And is that a good thing? You know, what they understand, what they're just what they're experiencing overall? Is well, that yeah, I, I think it depends. You know, like you said, it, it depends on the artist because uh, artistically speaking, when these sort of these blends of these different styles and these different idioms kind of come together mm -hmm. from an artistic standpoint, I love see, I love seeing and hearing that happen. Oh. Uh, I, I love when musicians experiment. That's sort of that's our we we need to do that that's 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 what we do as artists but if you do it because you're looking to sort of make the audience younger mm -hmm. um i'm not really sure that's the way to do it because i feel like i don't care if you if you're 18 or 80 i really believe people know when you're faking it you know mm -hmm. it's like oh they're doing this because right they're playing they're playing at us this is not right. really who they are I think people can sniff that out, you know, so. But if um, it's sincere, you're saying if the artist is coming from it, it's just like, hey, this yeah. is what I feel. This because is what I, feel. I remember when, uh, I mean, we both remember this, but when when I was in high school, that's when Wynton Marcellus really became a, a household name. Mm -hmm. And he was nothing like what we saw in popular culture. He was the antithesis of popular mm -hmm. culture, you know. Which in which ways are you referring to? Well, I mean, first of all, he had he wore a suit. You know, hmm. I mean, we're talking. You're saying is that what? Yeah, you mean? yeah, we're talking 1983, 1984. You know, yeah. Michael Jackson was our hero. Prince was our hero. Madonna was our hero. You know, all these people who were like pop culture icons, and yeah. like you know, here's this studious young man in a suit and mm -hmm. tie, right. playing a trumpet. Right. You know, playing jazz and playing mm -hmm. classical music, European classical music, and using right. these, you know, very intelligent, using these big words, you need to go find right. a dictionary. <laughs> and like, and he was like huge with people who didn't like jazz. So right. I think there was a sense of like, wow, this guy's doing something sincere. He's mm -hmm. obviously good at it. We don't really know what it is, but he's obviously good at it, you know? Right. Um, much in the same way as I don't think a lot of you, well, I don't know if I can compare tennis to jazz, but I mean, I look look at what the Williams yeah, sisters. Two of my favorite things. Let's go. What? There you go. So, like, look at what the what the Williams sisters did for tennis. You know, like, got a whole generation of of young kids mm -hmm. uh, who actually like tennis now. You know, Tiger Woods did that for golf. You know, so mm -hmm. I think if uh, you know, I, I, if if you if your music sort of blends all these different things together from an artist, from an organic artistic standpoint, that's amazing. But mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, if you do that with a sort of an intention on trying to capture the younger ears, I'm not sure that always works. Just, just okay. be who you are and like really embrace that. And, and it helps to have a good PR person too. <laughs> uh, okay, but so just give, give, give me an example of someone that's doing it sincerely. He goes, hey, now there's a cat, there's a cat who's, who's putting jazz together with blank and it just, it, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's the right example, not the wrong example. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I, sh if I can name names, but um, 
all right, just all music. It's okay. Not against anybody. Just like yeah. Hey, I mean, I can, I can, some of the examples that come to mind are, um, well, here's what I'm, here's what I'm judging this by. Like, for example, um, I remember seeing Kareem Riggins playing at the Detroit Jazz Festival one year, and he had a band with Robert Hurst playing bass. Um, oh man. Um, was it Jerry Allen? No, Jerry Allen wasn't. Well, maybe she was playing. I think he had two keyboard players. But anyway, it was a really hardcore jazz group, right? Mm-hmm. And Common was a special guest. Okay. And I remember thinking, how how is this going to work? Because they don't look like they're really set up to do a hip-hop kind of thing. Yeah. And they didn't do a hip-hop thing. Common was rapping over jazz grooves. Wow. And that blew my mind all the way open because I'd never seen anybody do that before. Right. Um, they didn't switch it up to go into a hip hop thing when he came on. And what was great is that you had hardcore jazz fans who were there to hear, you know, Kareem play with Jerry Allen and Robert Hurst. But then you had all of the hip hop people there to see Common. And then once that band was over, they all stayed there to hear who the next band was. And like, to me, that was like the greatest victory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's the best thing I think when when audiences mix, uh, and and each come away with it with their mind having yes up a little bit. That's a yeah. that from a programming standpoint. I think if you're if you're at least from the standpoint of whatever the music is, if you're interested in watching it grow and stay relevant, and how how do you do that? Right when it's done, like yeah, I'm with you when it's done sincerely and well and right right in the sense of with real intention and right and, and honesty and all that that it can be great and it's and it's and uh you know my bet as a as a programmer or someone you know that makes decisions about hiring artists in different settings my best night is when someone says i didn't I really didn't know much about this music and I knew nothing about this artist and I don't really consider myself a jazz fan, but that was pretty freaking That was good. Yeah. That was no, not good. That was great. And yeah. I've heard this a lot at our little series, Jazz Cafe. It's only 100, 150 people. It's a club. Yeah. It moves around, but I've seen this a lot and I've seen it a lot from young people because it just since we started doing it in this particular town, Aspen, Colorado, there's, there, there was no setting at all for anybody young or old really to go out and check out the music and but it's a town that does love live music so we've been able to get young people coming in and a lot of the time they've been just like god i would never heard anything like this and you know this is yeah. really thank you and so that's all that's all positive well all right let's let's shift gears a little bit what do you have <clears throat> to the extent that you one can plan but we of course we're all challenged with a little bit of planning and planning at the moment, but let's just take the, let's take COVID, let's put COVID to the side for a minute and talk about you and your music and what's it, what's ahead, you know, for, and I'm talking not, not just this, not just next year, but what would you like to do broadly in five, 10 years, you know, where would you like to, what would you like to take, take the longer view, short, all of it. I'd love to hear what's on your, to the, if you've thought about it, I bet yeah. you. Have. That's a good question. I um, 
I, I'm always, I always try to be very careful about how I word this because uh, I would say particularly inside the last five years, probably the last 20, but certainly in the inside the last five years, I feel like I got uh, quite road weary. Like, you know, I, I was getting beat up, you know, just being on the road all year long. And so in 2018 or 2017, I think it was, um, I made an attempt to take a sabbatical. I took like a three month or four month sabbatical where I didn't go on the road. And um, uh, I, I almost depleted my entire bank account, but I would have to say that um, just from a rest standpoint, just to kind of get my brain restarted, my body restarted, it was amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. And so when the lockdown happened, I feel bad saying this, but there was a big part of me that was like, yes. I hear you. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, so, you know, I haven't seen an airport in 11 months and yeah. don't really care to see one right away. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's sort of, that's sort of short term. Like I've, I've loved my time at home. This is the longest I've ever been in one place since my senior year in high school. Yeah. And, um, you know, I haven't really been doing a lot of gigs. I think I've done like maybe five gigs in mm -hmm. inside the last year and mm -hmm. they've all been like, you know, fundraising events, um, you know, a couple of online things, but, uh, generally I, I've been right here at home. Now, once this is over, um, in the short term, uh, I'm looking forward to doing this reunion tour with Joshua Redman, Brad Meldow, and Brian Blade. Uh, we were supposed to tour last year um, with the release of, of our, our last record. But um, I'm doing that just when you can, or do you mean in 2021 or 22? You don't really know. Well, just we, we have, uh, you know, all of the gigs that were canceled in 2020 have been moved to 2021. But at right. this point, they're still kind of, you know, they may or may not happen. I, I'm, I think most of them will happen. I'm not sure about the entire tour, but um, that will um, that will take up much of our our June and July. Um, and then, you know, I as, as you well know, I'm 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 juggling a lot of stuff with um, with my own groups, my own projects. Uh, I have a commission. My my first orchestral commission is happening this year. Wow. Um, I, what, I got this. What orchestra? The New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. Wow. And so um, I've been uh, I've been asked to write a movement. It, it, this is weird. My first orchestral commission is for a French horn piece. I I know virtually nothing to be performed with a full orchestra. Is that yeah. what not a jazz? Not a no. jazz. No. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it'll be orchestra with a rhythm section. Got it. So, uh, it, you know, it'll be jazz-ish, but uh, I, I will have uh, the entire orchestra there at at my at, at my disposal. So yeah. um, I'm looking forward to that, and um, you know, waiting to see what we're going to do with um, you know, obviously all of the jazz festivals are kind of up in the air. Newport, we're trying to figure out what to do with that, and Montclair, we're trying to figure out what to do with that. Uh, NJ Pack, everything has been pretty much virtual up until this point so but like you said taking all that away 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know what my uh, what my mid or long term plan is. Uh, I, I look at people like um, Chick Corea and because I, you know, I've, I've had the honor of, of working with him now for over 25 years and I see how prolific he is. You know, he's he's always writing new music. He's always got some cool project going on with some great musician somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I just admire his sheer output at this point in his life. It's just like, yeah. man, I want to yeah. do that, you know? Impressive. Yeah. And, what? you know, people like Ray Brown, Ron Carter, you know, they, Ron Carter will be 84 this year. Wow. He looks like he's 50. And he sounds like he's thirty. I don't know. I don't know what he's taking, but I want some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Where does he live in California or East Coast? Oh, Ron's Ron's in New York. Okay. Yep. Nice. God bless him. That's I good. know, man. That's good. Well, what about? Let's talk a little bit about our our collect. Let's bring it back full circle to what we're doing together, which is the JAS Academy with Frost School of Music, and we've been at it for a couple of years now. Yeah. And, um. This year. Well, I'm going to first, let's just talk about the first part, which is something that I know is near and dear to your heart. And, and that is big band music and jazz Academy has focused its uh, original session, uh, which is the last week of July and the first week of August. And it will be again this year, uh, with a big band that you do a lot of the arrangements for, and then, and then we're adding another two week session prior to that, which is going to focus on small groups. And we're, we're kind of looking for some of the finest emerging small groups that are out there, you know, somewhere three, four or five musicians, different sounds. But again, just seeing what people are what people are doing. This has been a great, um, great program for us to collaborate on. I'd like, but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what you what you've seen just since we started with Frost and and you mentioned earlier, so I'm just going to throw this in about the difference from 20 years ago with technology and how and and the influence on life and music in general. And, you know, the Frost has a very, very strong part of their curriculum, which is about the business of music and how, you know, one thing is, or as Ray used to say, romance without finance is a nuisance, you know, Come we on, know, man. that's right. You know, we know that it's easy to love music. It's easy to love music, but to make a living and to make the yeah. work, that's work. It's a whole yeah. nother deal. And, and I hope, at least from my perspective, that this program Academy with under, you know, your able direction, as well as Frost, we're helping, helping some musicians along. But tell, tell, tell me about what, what you see in the program and what we've got coming up. Well, you know, Jim, even before Frost came along, you know, I, I think what you created there in Aspen has um, been rightfully celebrated. Um, now, the bigger, the better. You know, the the more the more hands on deck, the better. So when the Frost School became involved, they have uh, a legacy of their own. That that whole South Florida University of Miami Frost yeah. School. They, they have their own legacy that I'm not really sure people in the jazz community really know, mm-hmm. you know, um, my first boss in New York, uh, Bobby Watson went to university of Miami, Curtis mm-hmm. Lundy, Pat Metheny, Bruce Hornsby, wow. uh, you know, Carmen Lundy, all these people came out of there, you know, right. 
And um, one of uh, their more recent uh, alumni who I met here in Montclair, New Jersey, Emmett Cohen has been uh, carrying the torch for uh, the Frost School uh, for quite some time. And to me, Emmett is one of the uh, classic examples of someone who has a, um, he's not just looking at the music. And I think that's a hard thing to teach younger musicians because there's this sort of romantic it is somehow cool to be the tortured artist. Everybody wants to be the tortured artist. You're not really, you know, I think a lot of young musicians in their mind think, I don't have any gigs. That's cool. You know, yeah. I don't have any money. That's cool. But that, that means my music is like full of soul. You know, it's like, uh, I live with six other people. Oh yeah, that's the way it's done. You know, the the struggle. You know, like there's like this great. Uh, there's integrity and struggle. So you make yourself struggle so you can feel like you got this integrity or this deep power in your music, and I'm not sure that that's really smart. You know, because like there are ways that you can have your musical integrity and not have to struggle. I mean, look. I, I think of Miles Davis. I mean, what musician had deeper soul or more impactful uh, uh, in, in, you know, the, the, the things that he created in this music? And, you know, he grew up the son of a, of a school teacher and a dentist. You know, he never had to struggle for any sort of money at any point in his life. I mean, until he wound up going through his personal problems. But you know, he always used to, Miles said he used to get offended when uh, he would hear people say like, uh, well, black people are better blues players because they don't have anything. They don't have as much as white people. And Miles Davis would say, uh, excuse me, what was that? <laughs> um, I, I never struggled in my life. I think I played blues better than, better than most, you know, and, and he was right. So I like the fact that with our collaboration with the Frost School, there is a focus on not just learning the, the history, not just learning the notes, not just learning the scales, the theories, but there's also a focus on technology, learning the business, uh, having a career in this music. And as you well know, my, my man, Ray Brown, he was all about that business. Yes. You know, he, yeah, he played bass better than anyone else, but he was all about that business. <laughs> No, he was. You know, Ron Carter the same way. You know, Chick Corea. I see these guys on the tour bus. They making phone calls. They on their computers doing, you know, and they're not, they're not, they're not punching notes into Sibelius. They're looking at spreadsheets. You know, they're looking at bank accounts. And I'm like, go ahead. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Right. Well, something that I've, that um, I've noticed um, with young young musicians over the years here at the Jazz Academy. And you never had to be taught this because you just did it naturally. But it's something, there's a, there's a couple of things just from my experience of just sitting in the audience, but organizing shows and then watching that I've noticed. And it's something that I have frequently mentioned to young musicians over the years, once in a while, someone who's here in the program would just say, hey, hey, 
they'll probably call me Mr. Horowitz because they're mostly very polite. No one does that, but mostly that's what they will say. Right. Just, hey, I've, you know, a question and we'll get into a chat. And one thing that I've noticed a lot that jazz musicians, and it can be all, not just young ones, but young ones have it too, is that I think is, can be a challenge. And I'm talking about in the live performance side of their life is that there's a bad habit that I've seen a lot of young people have when they play music is they look down. They look down and what they're missing is the audience. And that sounds like a very silly, like, what, what do you mean? But sometimes it, and I remember, cause you know, I was a piano player a long time ago. And, and I, if you look up, you might be amazed at what you'd see is going, is actually going on there. For example, people that are engaged or are not, or how, or what is going on exactly. But thinking about, you know, people like Ray and like you, there is that, and it's something that musicians have to remember, and they don't always, is that connection. It's the yeah. music, the music, it feels like when you're playing it, it's something that's it's, it's yours, and you're creating, and you, and you hope to create it with other musicians, which is a great joy, but the business of music has to do with connecting you with other people, um, and that part, you're great at it, and it's one of the reasons 25 years ago where I said, that's a guy that I would like to have around young people because he knows how to, he just knows how to connect. And that's the kind of example that I think is so important for young musicians to understand. You are in an, you are privileged to be making music, but you gotta understand if you wanna just play for yourself, you can do that at home. But if you wanna have a career out there, you're gonna have to check out the people and figure out how to engage with them because, well, it's just my opinion, I see people come in and engage, and then I see people come in and not engage. Right, right. Guess what? The ones that not engage. Well, uh, you, I, so. I think also what happens is that a lot of younger musicians can get confused because we've seen audiences reward bad behavior. Fair enough. You know, and That's I think fair. that I think as a younger musician, sometimes you're like, well, if they can get away with that, and, you right. know, at least I'm showing up. <laughs> you know, right. people pay, I know people, you know, people have paid money to see, you know, I mean, I, I hate to call names, but you know, you go see somebody like Lauren Hill, she may or may not show up, you yeah. know, but people pay huge money to see if she's going to show up. That's weird to me, you know. I agree, yeah. Um yeah. Keith Jarrett for many years, you know, would sometimes berate his audiences, you know, yes, people, been, I was in them. More, people, people paid money to see that. It's like, oh, if, if Keith Jarrett screams at us, we got our money's worth. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's pretty sad, but you're right. I you know, uh, Miles Davis never uttered a, a word to the audience in his entire life, you know, and like people love to see that, that mysterious, like, What's he thinking? Oh my God, he probably hates all of us. Isn't that great? You know. Okay. So, let, let me just say, you have selected a couple of examples of people of such towering talent. They could be that, but all of us are right. not. All musicians are not Keith Jarrett or but, Miles. But, but my my point was that when you're a younger musician and you see that. And you yeah. see that they are—they are always the headliners. Right. You know, there's a voice in your head that says, "Okay, I have the option not to be an audience person, right?" Mm -hmm. And 
I don't think you you, you got to learn, and and this is basic business. Um, you got to know who you're playing for. Right. You know, if you're playing the gig, I mean, even in New York, I mean, like if I'm playing the gig at the Village Vanguard, that's no. not playing this. Carnegie Hall. Yeah. You know, or, or, or yeah, exactly, or like a uh, Merkin Hall, or or Town Hall, whatever it is. It's like you got to know who's you know the vibe of your audience you know uh playing in hollywood is not the same as playing in 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 uh oakland mm-hmm. right uh oakland is not the same as playing in you know uh houston so to speak so you, you just you okay. got to know where you're playing and what is going to reach those particular people or the the, the other reality is that if you're going to say, okay, well, look, I do what I do. I look, I'm not an audience person. I don't look at the audience. I, okay. I would say that's fine, but you're going to get what you're going to get, you know? And then that's, yeah. And, it, you know, I, and it's for some, it, it, it can work. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not moralizing. Right. I'm, right. I'm just saying what I've observed. That's yes. all. That's all. And, yeah, and, I mean, and, and again, like, like you said, I, I think when you're young, you, you make a lot of mistakes. You know, yeah. you 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 kind of you're trying to figure it all out, and sure. hey, I, I want to be hip. You know, I, I want to be down. You know, and um, that that's why I've always felt like you need a lot of. Um, it's it's weird now, man, because like I think of when I first moved to New York and I started playing with Bobby Watson and James Williams and Victor Lewis and and Freddie Hubbard and Bobby Hutchison and all these people and, you know, meeting Ray Brown and Milt Jackson and Hank Jones, all those older cats, Betty Carter. Um, Mm -hmm. We had really good examples of like, you know, this is what you do. This is how you do it, you know? And so it's like weird to know that like people like myself and Terrence Blanchard and, and, and Joshua Redman, Chris Potter, Brad Meldow, Brian Blade, Greg Hutchinson, we're in those seats now, you know? Right. So it's like, wow. <laughs> like when, when I first, when I started playing with Bobby Watson, Bobby, Bobby Watson was like um, 35 maybe. And I was 17. So I was like, man, Bob, Bobby's been around a long time. He's in his mid thirties. He played with Art Blakey in the seventies. Oh <laughs> man. You know, <laughs> So I didn't yeah. think 35 is old, but like kind of bordering old. <laughs> old relative. And then like next year, man, you, you put it on your calendar. Next year, I got my big 5-0. Can you believe it? It is? Whoa. That's big. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, <laughs> uh, what's, the, what's the month? Uh, May. May. The lovely month of May. Yep. That's good. Well... I guess that's next year, 22. Yes, 22. Like, yep. Better, better to have a party in 22 than that's May. That's right. That's right. I think, I think this May is still going to be a little, mm, just yeah, kind a little of, iffy. A little bit like this. But, you know, I'll tell you something um, that, uh, and I've been um, hearing about this and talking about this with Frost uh, and Shelly, but also some other people in the industry. And this has to do with this summer. Um, and I, I just put this out and I don't know how much you've heard about it, but I'll put it out there. That's something that we're really 
thinking could have quite an impact. And I will call it in the transition to a fully vaccinated population, which is going to take time. I mean, it's, you know, every, you're different. People say, well, the population will be fully um, um, it'll yeah, be, be you know, fully vaccinated. Yeah. By but right. in the meantime, while it's while we're getting there, there's something that there's been a lot of progress made in, and you hear less a lot less about it on the national news than vaccinations, which is ra accurate rapid tests. Mm. Um, and the and what I've been talking to people about in the industry, and this will impact what we're doing, and well, everyone, what everyone is doing is that. There are, as we speak in January of 2021, there are countries and tests right now where you have a test that's very, very, very accurate, you know, 98, 99%. Mm -hmm. And it's not expensive. It's only 10 or 15 bucks. That's relatively speaking, not overly expensive. And it, the results are back in five or 10 minutes. We think, and I've been talking to people that think, hey, this is January. And if they've made this much progress and along comes the summertime and the answer is, hey, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, John Doe, for buying a ticket to the show. Right. Please note, when you arrive, you have two choices. You either have to show that you got your test within 48 or 72 hours and it was negative and you show it. And if you couldn't get it together, we're testing you here. Yeah. But right. Nobody's going in. Right. And the reason for that is that the people who do go in can have confidence they're not going to get sick and die as a result, nor do they have to stay eight feet away right. because everybody there is tested negative. Now, some people are going to say, well, it's not foolproof. Well, nothing is foolproof exactly. Right. In right. Right. Life. You could also, even if you were vaccinated, you could get killed by a drunk driver the next day, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but I'm just, I don't know if you've heard about this. But I've heard about it, and I think that, like I say, for this summer particularly, when we're probably coming out of things and the level of vaccination is much higher and right. all of that, but that still this hunger to get back together will be, will be that's the, the, the push one way, and the other is, yes, but how is it safe yet or how safe? Yeah. And right. Well, in a manageable environment, we think it is safe enough. And I was talking to the doctor on the local county health board who said we agree we agree with that and and we will probably by the time guidelines come along so i don't know if you've heard about that i think it's something that's hopeful for and we did this with the jazz academy last summer granted only 20 to 25 kids and five faculty right. but we tested all the time you know all the time i mean absolutely i mean the, the protocols are going to be uh you know, as I mentioned before, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with, with, with Newport this year and as well as with, with Montclair. So we've heard the whole thing about the accurate rapid test. Uh, yeah. I did a thing just last week for the um, uh, we played a virtual concert uh, for Boston Symphony Hall, uh, like the, the, the BSO uh, concert series, which is now virtual. So just to play the gig the protocols were pretty uh it was pretty deep we 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 had it the, they sent you one of those at home COVID kits yes to test yourself yeah and you had to send it in within a, a specific time period once you got you had to download an app 
once you got the results, you had to take the results and upload it to the BSO HR department. And then once you got to the venue to tape the concert, you had to sign another waiver and show like your test. I mean, it, it was very, very involved. But I guess whether you thought it was overkill or not, once you got inside, you knew everybody was cool. Right. You know, and it's like, wow, we could play this concert and be like, ha, ah, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that going forward, certainly this year, there will be some uh, uh, very necessary protocols and, and, and uh, precautions taken that will make everybody feel safe and, um, everybody, and uh, everybody will be cool, you know? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. I mean, I, I know everyone, I know, I mean, who isn't, I guess yeah. there's some antisocial people that are happy that the whole world is all set. <laughs> staying at home like they always, there's probably a lot of people out there like, hey, everyone is now, now y'all know how I've been living for the last 20 years, you know? Have you, have you seen Soul, the movie? I heard about it, but I didn't see it yet. I, I would suggest you see it ASAP. It's an absolutely okay. beautiful movie. I'll, I'll give you just, I don't, I don't want to give it away, but I, I, I will say that the world is full of too many 22s. You will know what that means when you see the movie. Just remember the number 22. Okay. <laughs> right. I know I've heard about it and a few people said, yeah, you got to check that. We have to help the 22s. I'm, I'm on earth to help 22s. 22s, okay. Not necessarily 22-year-olds, <laughs> it's something else. Well, it's... Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You don't have to... Uh, check. We don't have to do... Yeah, I'll watch it, though. Yeah, there's, you'll like it. There's There's been a, there's been plenty of good stuff. Uh, my word, you could, you know... This is this is about, Sil about Sylvie's music. Sylvie's love is another good one you would you would enjoy. It's a yeah. it's a movie about a jazz musician who uh it's a it's a jazz romance. It's it's really great. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um oh, it's been busy. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Um because we're getting I I think they wanted us to I think this is supposed to be about an hour and I think we're get I think we're getting there. Um any um just any, any anything that you feel that you you just to share going forward that why and how if you if you think that that covid has just changed changed the the just that things will will never quite be the same around live music i not i don't mean to be never because never is an awfully right. long time but the profound changes that you think this is going to wreak in a you know if you had to say well i really think that such and such is is inevitable as a result of this so is there anything that yeah well i i think one thing that has changed well one thing that's not going away i have a feeling that the whole virtual option will mm -hmm. stay okay. um i think if venues uh kind of want to stay relevant or stay contemporary they will keep some sort of a pay-per-view element for lack of a better term yeah. you know so pretty soon you'll be able to buy a ticket to watch a set at ronnie scott's in london you know right. uh you'll be able to watch a 
uh, a concert at Tokyo Symphony Hall while it's happening. I mean, you have to yeah. uh, wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, but right. uh, you know, I, I think that element will stay around. That's something that that COVID has, has uh, brought. Um, yeah, you, I want to ask you something about that because we've lived in me from the standpoint of organizing it and you from the standpoint of being on the bandstand of, of understanding that the live live music experience is something that is very very, very potent it's very potent it's very particular and it's why a lot of music has survived because it doesn't only exist right when it's transmitted uh, electronically or technologically or via some other thing. So do you work, do you, and what you're saying is, well, the virtual element will be there. Yeah. You just try and let here. Do but you, we'll, I think know, we'll be uh, together again. Okay. Yes. But do you think generations from now that over time, people will just become less, they'll just, it'll just become normal. Like, yeah, I might be, I might go. No, nah, I think I'm just going to stay home. I'm, I got my surround sound and I'm just going to watch it. It's no really, honey, who cares? Let's just fire up the Barbie right. and you know, we can watch Christian for a moment. I don't even have to get right. dressed. Right, 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 right. I, I think there'll still be enough diehards that will come out and, and hear I the hope, music. I hope so. Yeah, I, 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 I like to think, my, my heart tells me that there's still some people that want to get, they want to be there to experience yeah. that. You know, because yeah. like, like you say, even watching it, you know, on a on a live stream is not the same as being it's there the same you know? to me it's just it's it's so far away. i talk to my dear wife nicole who you know about this all the time we we you know we we've been lucky in that we've had this series we have it's a little bit it's like a, it's not the vanguard or nothing like that but we've had a series here that's been going on for 10 years now right we're in the summer and we just got we're so used to just well it's a show we're just going and and it's such a personal and particular thing live and and we right. in the worst way just some yeah. nights nice, oh god i can't believe we do not have the option of going over we'll put on the you know put on the, some music okay it's great to listen to music at home but it is not the same right it's not the same thing so i you know i'm gonna be one of those people i'm all i'm all in favor of recorded and streaming and a, a distribution and all of it because right. anything that pushes the music out and engages an audience on the whole is a good thing. But right. I just think that in the corner of the music that we're in and that you're in, we, we have a responsibility to just be preachers for live and keep Absolutely. pushing and not, and not just say, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it is okay, but I don't want us to become complacent and yeah. feel that, you know, it's just fine. Just like, for example, people are thinking, Hey, I'll never, I could, this is great because of COVID. I no longer now, you know, there isn't going to be an office. I'm not going to have to commute. This is great. Well, part of it, that part of it is great, but part of being isolated from human beings is not great. And no, you don't, exactly. collaborate. you don't collaborate the same way and you That's don't have, right. you don't have friction and there's all kinds of stuff that hap that doesn't happen when you are physically isolated. And I, so my parting shot is, you know, we need people like you who have that gift to, to keep pushing the audience and the other musicians to the value and how important it is and how COVID has reminded us what, we're, what we have lost in that live connection. And yeah. it's 
very precious. And I just think that, you know, we need to pay attention. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you all the way, man. Like, like I said, I really believe that since this has done such a doozy on us and uh, we really miss each other as human beings, you know, to be able to be together, um, we'll be back. I, I feel that the bodies will be back in the seats. They will. And, they, and they'll always be there, even once, you know, if the whole pay-per-view thing stays happening, there will still be people in, in the seats. Well, you know, the Roaring Twenties followed the Spanish flu. And uh, the Roaring Twenties were, I believe, kind of a time, it was kind of the, ja the what they right. called the right. jazz age, when it was really. Right. So and, I would say that we do, you know, pop music is whatever it is. But and, I, and, and the disco era followed Vietnam. Yes. <laughs> so there's there's the pent up hunger is there. Right, but right. There's, there's joy, there's joy to be shared. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll be part of it for sure. So in other words, the, be prepared. The rest of the decade is going to be one wild party. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. We can't wait. And I just hope, I hope, uh, you know, we've got your, we got your distant, we got your disinfected room and your, and your, and your, and good screens and right on baby. Yes, we got all kinds of things. We we need you here this summer, man. I'll, I'll be there. Oh no, you're zooming. We'll get you here one way or the other. Don't worry. All right. I'll I'll, I'll be there in body. Yeah, that's what we love to hear, man. Good. Well, I think I I think as they say, music that's a wrap. I'm that's good. Wrap. Anything, anything else you want to add to the the great uh, the great uh, podcast audience out there who might? Have and it's just uh, it's it's wonderful to see you again, and uh, you know it's it's been a thrill to be part of the the family the Aspen family for all these years can't believe it's it's been uh 22 One, years since i've plus years that's crazy the same time i just see her walking by my colleague i call her my wife but we're colleagues now Dude, because... is, is, is that andrea no that's not my that's that's guy andrea is my actual workout nicole Nicole, oh, you, actual your, your actual wife. Okay. True wife. Yeah. <laughs> she just was walking by with a big smile because she could hear your voice. Oh, she, well, tell her I said what's happening. Hear your smile and she's just walking over there. But 20, 1999, 2000, that's when I met you and her like within months of each other. So that's, that's wild, man. People, two people who smile a lot. All see? right. Yeah, no. There you go. Right, Christian, we'll see. We'll be in touch, man. Love you. Keep yes, it up. Sir. Love you back. Keep doing it all, and we'll see you. We'll see you this summer, but we'll be in touch well before. You got it. Sounds good, brother. Later. Take care, man. You got it. <laughs>